Before I get started, I want to make sure you all know I never preach a homily aimed at a particular person, at least not a particular person here. We're going to talk about the truths of marriage today as taught by the church. And sometimes these are very hard to hear, and sometimes they hit really close to home. If that happens, come talk to me. The application of church teaching looks different in its particulars than it might sound when we're talking about principles of theology. That doesn't mean the theology is not true or anything like that. It just means that we always work with charity first and we apply theology with that principle in its background. So, the first thing about everything in our faith is that our faith is intimately bound up with Jesus Christ. We start with Him in all things because He is the one who came to save us. He is the Son of God come down from heaven who became a human being. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that fills our hearts with His love and that allows us to go forward and to preach the good news of salvation, to tell people that heaven is a place that we can get to because Jesus Christ promised us there is a place there prepared for us. And all that we have to do is this really hard thing called following Jesus Christ. <laughs> it is a hard thing. But we follow Jesus Christ who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And he tasted death for everyone so that we can follow him through this life that has a lot of suffering and pain in it. And yes, we go through death, but we come out the other side and we meet our Heavenly Father, the one who created us and all of the rest of the universe out of love. And that brings us back to Genesis, to our first reading today. God created all things. And at the pinnacle of this material creation, He created us, human beings. He made Adam in His own image and likeness. And He looked upon him and He said, this is good. But then Adam looked around and he named all the animals and his heart was not satisfied because there was no one with whom he could share himself as a human being. Yes, he could share himself with God, but Adam needed someone like him to share himself, to give himself to, to serve and to love every day of his life. And so God cast this deep sleep upon Adam it was really death, if we're being honest. He took the rib and formed Eve out of him. And then when he awoke, you know, he said, Whoa, man, here's someone I can share my life with, I can share my humanity with, whom I can love with all my heart, whom I can give myself to fully, one who's like me. And so that relationship between Adam and Eve, this was before the fall of humanity. There was nothing between the two of them and their love for each other. And so their relationship was this wonderful image of the love that God has both within Himself, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but also an image of the love that God has for each and every one of us. 
This love that gives of self without reservation, fully and totally, and is committed. It's an image of that. But we all know what happens soon after this story in Genesis that we read today. We experience the fall. And because Adam fell down on the job, didn't protect his wife like he should have, and they both fell into temptation and sin, now we all have to deal with the consequences of that. What happened when humanity fall is it damaged our ability to relate with others. Our relationship with God was shattered, but also our relationship with other human beings. Because now, instead of seeking the good of the other in all things, because we see the beauty of God living within them, that's obscured. It's hard for us to see now. And so instead of seeing someone whom we should love and give ourselves to in every other human being, unfortunately now our clouded vision sees someone whom I can use to my own ends all too often. And we have to spend our entire lives working to reverse that, to get back to how things should be, to see these people as someone I should love with all my heart. And there's a very special relationship where this is expressed in human ways, right? The marital relationship between man and his wife. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the gospel today. You know, it's interesting if you look. Creation, everything is created, but the first human story is one of man and his wife. And then we have the fall. But then, when Jesus Christ comes to this earth and he begins his public ministry to save us from that sin and from that fall, where does he begin? He begins at the wedding at Cana, a wedding celebrating the union of a man and his wife, also celebrating the wine, right? Like maybe that's why Catholics love a good party, you know? <laughs> Marriage and parties kind of go with the beginning of our faith. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> what that tells us, though, is that marriage matters. It's critically important to God. Because starting his public ministry at a wedding, he wouldn't have done that if it was not important. So marriage matters. It was created by God, and it is good. And if spouses allow God into their relationship, he will fight for their marriage right alongside with them. Because God loves everything he has created. Because everything God has created is good. If we look at what marriage is, the Catholic Church teaches that there are two things that marriage is ordered towards, like the goals of marriage, so to speak. The first and most important is the good of the spouses. In other terms, that means that it is the spouse's job to get each other to heaven. So husbands here, you have a job. Get your wives to heaven. And wives, you have a job. You probably have the harder job, let's be honest. Okay, I thought it was funny. <laughs> wives, your job is to get your husband to heaven. Spouses, like that love that you have for one another, 
is what drives you to get each other to heaven. That is the first end of marriage, getting each other to heaven. The second one that the church has taught for the last couple thousand years, so since the very beginning, is the procreation and education of offspring. It's intimately bound up with marriage because love cannot help but be fruitful. If you look at God's love for all of us, how did that work? The Father loves the Son so much so that the universe is created with what spills over. And if we're made in His image, the love that we have for everyone else on this planet also needs to spill over, but especially in that marital relationship. Sometimes this love gets a name, you know, like Johnny or Jenny or whatever, right? But also, the love between husband and wife spills over and people see it and they say, that is something good and beautiful and I want that in my life too. Husbands and wives, with their love for one another, can become that shining light on the top of the hill that Jesus talks about, which we can't hide with a bushel basket because it's so beautiful and attractive. And the reason that it is is because it's a representation of God's love for all of us. And so that is why, why marriage can't be held back, you know, why we, we have to teach that conjugal love is open to life at all times. And those two ends of marriage, the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of children, it is a big ask, and those are hard things to do. But like I said, God fights for marriage because He loves it, and He will help you do it if you let Him. And on top of that, Jesus elevates marriage to a sacrament. So just that very relationship itself can give us these graces because of the sacrament of marriage. So I, spent, I mentioned conjugal love, right? I'm talking about a particular act in marriage, and I don't want to get too much more specific because there's kids here, right? But you can probably figure out what I'm talking about, all right? There are four aspects of this act that have to exist for it to mean what it truly means, for it to give love the way that God intends. It must seek unity between the spouses, to bring them closer together, right? We can't be using each other for our own pleasure or anything like that. We can't have all these horrible things that we see in the news happening. If this act does not bring the spouses together and deepen their love, then it is not, it's not good. It doesn't convey that love between the spouses. Conjugal love must happen within a relationship that is indissoluble. So that's a big word. But what it means is it cannot be broken. And that goes together with the next aspect of fidelity. So marriage must be this relationship that will not end until one of the spouses passes on to the next life. There's a couple reasons for that. One, to totally give yourself to another, you can't take that gift back. You can only really make it once because the only way you can take it back is if something was held back in the first place. And so if something was held back in the first place, then we have not totally given ourselves to our spouse yet. 
And so when we totally give ourselves and cannot take that gift back, we can't dissolve a marriage. That's simply what that means. But in that relationship that lasts for our entire lives, we, we live faithfulness. And what that means is that no matter what happens, I can go to my spouse and I can talk to them and no matter how bad it is, they can walk with me right through that darkness. In Psalm 23, right, we hear Christ telling us that He will walk with us through that valley of darkness, but husbands and wives walk with each other through that valley as well. And that fidelity is what allows them to do that, to be there for each other every day of their life. And then we already spoke a bit about fertility earlier. But again, that conjugal act of love has to be open to life for it to truly mean, I give myself totally to you. Because even that gift of fertility cannot be held back if we want to totally give ourselves to our spouse. <clears throat> now we have to talk about something that's a bit challenging to talk about for many people but it's what Christ talks about in the gospel today. And it's this, this tragedy of divorce that's become all too common in our society. And as I've been explaining, we must totally give ourselves to our spouse. And once we do that, we can't take it back. That's why Christ teaches us that divorce simply is, is not something that can happen that Moses allowed it because of the hardness of our hearts. And let's be honest, if we were still in that state of grace that Adam and Eve had at the very beginning, we wouldn't have divorce. Because it happens, you know, there's so many reasons it can happen. And I'm not going to sit here and say that sometimes spouses don't have to separate for issues of maltreatment or things like that. But At the core of divorce is often this idea that I no longer love my spouse. But love is a choice we make. It transcends our feelings on the inside. When we make that commitment to give ourselves to the other, that is a choice we make. And it's a choice we make every day. And it's only when we allow our hearts to harden that we come back and we say, I can't do this anymore. This is a hard teaching to accept. Jesus knew it and so did his apostles. We don't hear it in Mark's account of the gospel. But in St. Matthew's gospel, the apostles respond to this teaching of Christ by saying, Lord, this is a hard teaching. And if this is the truth, then nobody should ever get married. Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. It is hard. I mean, I look at the married couples here, and I'm just thinking, man, I am really glad that I don't get woke up at 2 o'clock every day by my kids. You know, I have a lot of respect for all of you out there. It's amazing what you do. You know, and when I look at that, you know, it's wonderful to see kids, to baptize them, you know, to spend time with them but then I get to go home, you know, and it's like one of the perks of celibacy, I guess. <laughs> Marriage is hard. Following Christ is hard. And he never made any bones about that. 
And so that virginity for the sake of the kingdom, though, is something we also need to talk about briefly. Because these sacraments, these vocations that we live out, there's those three primary vocations, right? There's marriage, there's the religious life, and then for men, there's the ordained priesthood. I guess there's ordained transitional deacons, but even Deacon Ty here isn't one of those. He's going to be a priest soon. So we'll just talk about priests for the time being. Each of these vocations mean that I have laid down my life for the rest of my existence on this earth for the sake of someone else. In marriage, the man and the wife lay down their own lives for the sake of their spouse, right? They say, you matter more than me now. I'm going to get you to heaven. When religious and when priests lay down their life, we often lay down prostrate on the floor and there's this litany of supplication that's prayed where we offer ourselves to the Lord Priests, we offer ourselves to the Lord in service of His people so that we can bring them back to heaven. And the religious, they offer themselves to the Lord through their community so that they might be sanctified, but also so that they might get to heaven. So it's all about laying down your life for the sake of another so that you can get to heaven. Because that's the goal of every human life at the end of the day. And those two approaches, through marriage or through virginity, are the two ways that we can do that. And both of them are good, and both of them are possible. To end up my homily, which I'm sure is kind of long today, (laughs) I want to read you a little bit of a story that Pope Benedict recounted in his book, Introduction to Christianity. It was written by Martin Buber, who I believe is a Jewish scholar, actually. But it's an excellent little story. An adherent of the Enlightenment, a very learned man, who had heard of the rabbi of Berdichev, paid a visit to him in order to argue, as was his custom with him too, and to shatter his old-fashioned proofs of the truth of his faith. When he entered the rabbi's room, he found him walking up and down with a book in his hand, wrapped in thought. The rabbi paid no attention to the new arrival. Suddenly, he stopped, looked at him fleetingly, and said, But perhaps it is true after all. The scholar tried in vain to collect himself. His knees trembled, so terrible was the rabbi to behold, and so terrible his simple utterance to hear. The reason I read you this is that statement from the rabbi, but perhaps it is true after all. So often we're tempted towards doubt with church teachings, especially these hard ones. And we say, is that really what Jesus wanted us to know? And it is. But when we have those doubts, we can answer them with that statement. Perhaps it's true after all. So as we go through our day and through our week and through our life, let's ask the Lord, show us where the truth is. Show me how to lay down my life for others and allow me to see 
how this is true after all.